friends. Welcome to Now with Fiona, the podcast where we explore rather direct questions about the LGBTQ plus community that many people are just too afraid to ask. Hello, my lovely listener. It's me, your Auntie Fiona, delighted to introduce you to a dear friend of mine, Dalila Ali Raja. Dalila and I met back in January 2011 through a leadership retreat that had us crying in the first few hours and then leaving as a cohort of sisters by the end of day three. Dalila is a powerhouse storyteller, activist, and founder of the Black Queer Joy Movement. She's a wonderful mixture of sandalwood, cinnamon, and cayenne pepper. I was so happy to pull that from her bio. (laughs) She's an acclaimed actress, writer, and producer, not only through her award-winning short film, Secrets and Toys, and Cherry Bomb, the series she co-created, which ran five seasons on Canada's Out TV, but has also appeared in such shows as 911, How to Get Away with Murder, Grey's Anatomy, NCIS, and Criminal Minds. There are still more accolades and awards to this incredible woman's name, which you should see on her website at DalilaAliRaja.com, which we'll put in the show notes. But the most important labels Dalila uses to describe herself are black, bisexual, queer, mom, fairy, witch, actor, writer, and griot. So, Dalila, welcome. How are you, my love? (laughs) I am doing good. As good as we can be in, like, the shit show that's kind of happening, at least in America right now. You know what I'm saying? But, like, I'm hanging in here and spending time with my family and creating and still writing stories and getting to have lovely conversations with you. Yay, it's amazing. I hope it's not too much of a shit show where you are and you're um, embracing all that's going on in some way. Yeah, California is a little bubble. Thank God. Yeah. So I'm grateful for where <laughs> I am. And I'm in I'm in like South, like the South part of Los Angeles with a largely yeah. beautifully diverse, you know, mostly black yeah. neighborhood. So we get a lot of like yeah. cultural things and some don't have to deal with some of the stuff that we have to deal with in other places. So it's a blessing. Good. That is a blessing. It's good to just focus on the good things in your neighborhood and in the world. And it's a blessing to have you on my show. And so let's just dive right into this cheeky question that is a chapter (laughs) title in my book. Okay. Are you ready for this? Oh, I don't know. You You better be. (laughs) Lay lay it on me, girl. Lay it on me. Well, actually, I think you've got one of the easier ones. So your question is, which label is better, bisexual or pansexual? (laughs) Now, you know, girl, first of all, I really feel like we should just use all the words that are useful because we're having to recreate all of this language anyway, because we lost it, you know, but I think I choose by for myself because I think there's been so much biphobia Mm -hmm. and by erasure that I want to try and do the work instead of just creating another term for myself, Mm -hmm. like create something that actually starts to transition and open up how people see bi people. Mm. But I also think pansexual is an awesome term. My kid is Gen Z. He uses pansexual Mm. and and loves it. And it's it's very inclusive. Mm. And I think that that's important too, because I think some people really limit bisexuality to instead of loving more than one gender possibility, like having the capacity Mm. to love or interact in a romantic way with more than one gender. Mm as like, oh, just being on the binary. Everybody says like the future is female. And I was like, I actually think the future is not on the binary. Oh, I agree. I really do. I'm a cisgendered woman, but I still am like, 
I think we missed that boat. Unfortunately, the patriarchy took it. I really think like the revolution <laughs> is coming and it is not going to be along just two lanes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, completely. I, I say the future is very queer. Oh, for sure. I mean, right now, and who knows what it's going to be next year, but as we're recording in 2022, right now, like one in five Gen Z identifies as LGBT and one in it's six actually, I think it's identifies even bisexual. I think it's, I well, think, last I read with a Gallup poll, it was one in five. I thought it was but more I will than look like it up. 50%. I feel like it was more than, it was like 50% or more, but I don't know which poll it was that said it, yeah. but it was, it was legit. Like the kids who were, um, and I don't know if they were using a specific window or whatever, because this is when my kid yeah. was in high school, but it was yeah. saying that it was like about 50% identified yeah. as something non-cis or non-straight. So yeah. it's like they, they kind of lumped it. all of it together. So like yeah, if anybody yeah. was on the gender spectrum, the binary, the sexuality spectrum, any of that stuff, mm-hmm. there was like of that age group that he was in at the time, mm-hmm. it was it was mm-hmm. like 50% or more. Mm-hmm. And as a population of LGBT adults, you know, 57% say they identify as bisexual. Like we are the majority within, actually within the LGB community, within the LGB community, 57% today in 22 identifies bisexual and yet as you say like there's such lack of visibility in bioerasia in our society and media yeah i wish there's more of us that would be out loud because i think that the part of the thing is that there's a lot of bi people and a part of why bioerasure happens is a coping mechanism for biphobia yeah like legitimately people just yeah whichever gender that they're with they just kind of assimilate yes. into that and let people assume like and i remember this is even like yes 15 years ago yeah when I was with my ex-husband, I'm like, but I'm still bi. Yeah. We divorced and I'm now remarried and I'm with my wife. And I remember a friend asking me, he's like, so are you just a lesbian now? And I'm like, I'm still who <laughs> I am, no matter who I'm married to. Uh, right. I am still bisexual. That has nothing to do mm-hmm. with who mm-hmm. I'm in bed with or married to. Is like my identity is not about them. Yeah. That reminds me of a journalist friend of mine cheekily asked me because I was dating a cisgender guy at the time. And he's like, oh, Fiona, so are you straight now? And it was like one of the most infuriating things. I'm like, no, I'm still bisexual no matter what the gender of the person or people I'm dating are. Like, I am always going to be bi. So I hear you and I I imagine, or I know there are a lot of couples out there who like you might be married to a woman or another female presenting person. And they'll just allow people to assume that they're lesbian because they just don't want to have to explain bisexuality. Well, because it's easier. Mm -hmm. It's honestly, it's easier. Yeah. Like having those conversations can sometimes be complex. They lead to questions if you don't have the patience or Mm -hmm. the bandwidth or the time to answer them. And it's somebody that you don't want to offend or be abrupt with in setting the boundary. Sometimes it's challenging to have, like, I I remember like talking to people Mm. where they ask that and they're Mm. like, if you're only going to be with them and you're monogamous and you're going to be with them forever with with my ex-husband, we were poly, Mm. but with my wife, she is one of the most monogamous humans I've met in, in the world. And you are now by default. (laughs) Quite something actually. About that yeah. too, I, I'm ambifidelitous. I can go either way. I can be monogamous or yeah. I can do poly. I can legitimately do both. Yeah. And I knew what I was getting into because yeah. I knew my wife was like that when we started dating. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a big deal to me. You know what I mean? And they were asking me about if you're monogamous and you're not going to be with other people, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. I was like, but but my queerness and my bisexuality actually mm-hmm. color the lens through which I take in the world. 
me walking through the world, the way I experience things, the way I talk about things, the prisms through which I see things I observe all come through my lens of bisexuality because that's a part of my identity. Yeah. We've been raised in a society that where we're assumed that monogamy is how relationships are always meant to be, aren't we? And I feel like not only are we living in a time when we're breaking the gender binary, but we're also breaking the relationship mold binary in some ways too. That relationship mold, if you look at it historically, you're better at having stats ready to go. And I don't have these stats, but I have read the historic documents and things and the studies about it. Like when it shifted to being more of a monogamous thing was much more about property and money and men wanting to know whose children were going to be Mm -hmm. receiving their property Mm -hmm. upon their death. And it was actually something that like when more patriarchal things came into place, because in in matriarchies, that really wasn't a thing. Like women could have relationships exchanged with whoever they wanted. And if you chose to be in a relationship with someone, whatever children came Mm. out of the blessing of that, because they weren't really thinking about genetics, Mm. they didn't really understand any of that yet. They were just like, whatever was the Mm. fruit of the womb was was Mm -hmm. a blessing from the goddess. And that they would take care of the fruit of that womb and that them committing to the woman was committing to taking care of any fruit of the womb. Wow. So until like more agricultural culture and other things started happening and then people wanted to hold on to land and property and be able to pass it down to a genetic child, that's when monogamy became more of a thing and actually arrested women's sexual freedom as well, which didn't necessarily have anything to do with who their life partners were necessarily could have, but it didn't have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but these kids are tearing it apart. Like these Gen Zers (laughs) and and I'm one of those people who thinks that fidelity is a orientation as well. I think people are truly born more monogamous or less monogamous than the other. And there's a spectrum in the middle, but I genuinely think there's a fundamental thing with people that our society doesn't really allow most people to explore. So, but these kids are, these kids are like, no, I'm poly. No, I don't yeah. want to do that. Mm-mm. They're like, I don't want to do monogamy ever again in my life. This is some bullshit. Like, they're like very- <laughs> they sound so empowered. Like, I wish. <laughs> they really are, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to say I wish my life different because I love my life and I'm grateful for my role to play on this planet in this body at this time. But I just think it's so fascinating to imagine what their experiences are like as they're refusing to accept these societal norms. And I just want to do everything I can to empower them. That's why I'm kind of coining myself like Auntie Fiona. Right, <laughs> they often know much more than me, which I think is adorable. I like Aww. you're like a little queer bisexual auntie, and I love it. You're like a little queer bisexual fairy. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Some people have said they remind me of like a queer bisexual Mr. Rogers. <laughs> so, yes, I could see that, or like a, a Tinker Bell. Yeah, yeah, I love it's it. It's so great. So, with your Gen Z kid, does he have a like, and he's identifying as pan. So what does he think about the word bisexual? And do you ha- ever have debates about which one might be better or not? We haven't had debates. He actually uses them interchangeably. Mm. Now, when he first came out, he only used pan. Now he'll actually use them interchangeably. Yeah. And doesn't have any problem with that at all. Yeah. Maybe that's the influence of having a very out and loud and proud mom. An amazing mom. Thank you. You know, I've shared with him some of my experiences with biphobia because I was kind of a late bloomer, but I still came out in like the nineties. You know what I mean? And yeah. and black entertainers in particular were not acknowledging polyness. Actually the term poly didn't even get coined until the mid nineties. Yeah. But like acknowledging polyness or bisexuality or any kind of queerness really. Yeah. Um and because I present so 
femme. They assume that I'm straight. Yeah. They assume that I'm cis and I am cis, but like they make a lot of assumptions that are not yeah. actually necessarily appropriate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They may not be accurate. Yeah. For a while, because I was so involved with film work sharing trans stories, a lot of people made the assumption that I'm trans. And then of course, outside of that, make the assumption that I'm straight or, you know, I didn't come out as lesbian until my late 20s and then re-identified as bi in my early 30s. And it's fascinating how people make all these assumptions based on what they see on the surface. And what's your personal story like with coming out? Like when and how did you come to identify who you are and discover what labels felt right? Like what age did that all start to trigger for you? So... I was super clueless. Now, when I look back at some of my youth and some of the things, I think that I just blocked out Mm. some stuff or didn't like the idea of possible shame or different things had me not even be aware or be consciously attracted to anybody. Yeah. I was like, I'm straight. Like, I don't have any problems with any of the queer community, which we weren't using queer then. Yeah. But my ex-husband is the one who helped me come out, actually. Oh, wow. He... Yeah, isn't that interesting? He's Yeah, it is. He may not have maybe telling tales out of school, but it's been told before. It's out. You, people can find it on the internet. Yeah. But he was like, when we're watching anything erotic, he's like, you seem to be very interested in the same sex, the same gender scenes with women. Yeah. And I had not noticed it. Whatever he was observing, I had not observed in myself. To be honest, I'm not that into porn. It was like something that he enjoyed that I was doing as a part of the relationship. So I didn't notice anything that was going on for me around that yeah but he said and I was like no most of my friends boisterously laugh when I say this part of the story but it's like I was like even if I could have sex with a woman I could maybe see that but I could never see like being emotionally involved oh, wow. with a woman it just doesn't make I just have never had that experience it's not yeah. that I'm against I just have never had a crush on a girl or yeah. like like somebody yeah. like that who was a woman and how old were you at this time by the way I was in my mid-20s okay but I started because he said that and he's like I don't know he's like maybe just examine it. we were doing a lot of like spiritual work on ourselves or whatever so I started like really trying to look like observe women is am I actually attracted to that person it'd be mm-hmm. like there's people I thought was pretty but I wasn't like attracted to them and then he met this woman who he became friends with who at the time identified as a lesbian from his hometown so she didn't live in the town with us mm. and they became close because he's like oh Dalila will be fine because they you know she's mm. a lesbian she has a girlfriend we can be friends there won't be any fear of mm. like cheating and we can be cool and he tended to resonate more with female friendships Mm. but in the past there have been some things that were not kosher around boundaries with some of those Mm. friendships so he's like this will be perfect Mm. so they became very close and then he introduced us Mm. on the phone one day and he had been saying for ages he wanted to introduce us we at this point we're engaged he's like i want you guys to meet and we started talking and something just happened like (laughs) we were talking and and again i just still had not found anybody i was attracted to so i was like He's seeing this thing that I'm not seeing. Yeah. And I asked her, I was like, when was the first time that you were with a woman? Yeah. And she said, oh, as an adult? And then just kept talking. For me, I'd had experiences as a young kid, not with adults, but with other kids, like playing house, petting, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's why I held shame because it wasn't something I initiated. But, you know, your kids, like that's a natural experience. But I didn't at the time know how natural of an experience that is for children to have. So I held a lot of shame around it. Didn't ever tell anybody. I thought I could never tell anybody. And her ability to hold that with such nonchalance. Yeah. And just like, it wasn't even a blip in her mind. 
Yeah. And it was just that split second. I was like, oh, there's a different way I could hold this. It didn't occur to me it was possible for my whole life to hold it a different way. And I'd never told my ex-husband and there's too much shame in having, even though, again, I was a child and it was, there's other children. It just felt like shameful because yeah. that's what the world teaches us. Yeah. And I think it just opened up something to me like liking her, but I didn't realize that was what was happening. Yeah. And then he was hearing me describe things and he's like, you like her. It's okay for you to like her. I was like, no, I can't like her. Like, like I haven't even seen her. <laughs> Like, I don't even know what she looks like. And he's like, but you like her. <laughs> this is just a phone call. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's okay. And he's like, I don't need to be involved in any way. Because he'd already told me, he's like, if you want to explore any of this, he's like, I think that this is accurate. I think that you do have attractions to women that you're not acknowledging. Yeah. He's like, it is not something I need to be involved in. I do not consider it cheating if it's something that you wanted to explore. Yeah. I think for you to be your full authentic self, you have to be your full sexual self. Yeah. And I don't think that you can do that until you acknowledge and accept that part of yourself. Yeah. And then I finally acknowledge, you know, like, oh, I do like her, which now I know I'm probably have some like now that they have the terms like demisexual. Yeah. With my connections with feminine people. Yeah. Meaning that you need to have some kind of emotional connection in order to have a physical attraction. Yes. But I didn't know that was the case before. So I didn't understand. I was like, no, I'm not queer. I'm looking at people and I'm not like, I don't want to fuck them. Yeah. I have had very deep emotional relationships with men, but I also have had just like recreational fun. Yeah. We have to remember that attraction is also love, romance and sex, right? And they're all on a sliding scale. Yeah. I imagine like you have an attraction box and inside that box, you've got those three different levels. So it's possible where you could be very sexually attracted to somebody, but then have a lower love and romance attraction yes. or, you know, go in a different direction where you have a very intimate love romance attraction, but no sex drive. So attraction is more than just one thing and one label, isn't it? What happened with this lesbian friend of your husband's, how did that continue or, or even end? So we continued talking and sometimes eventually escalated things via the telephone. And then we eventually went to go visit her knowing that she and I may connect, but not thinking he would be any part of that because she identifies a lesbian. What I realized when we were all together is that they were actually attracted to each other and hadn't been acknowledging it to each other. Wow. I also realized I, it didn't bother me as much as I thought it would. Yeah. Because I had originally said like, if we're doing this, I don't have any interest in them being involved with you because there've been the boundary issues before. I was like, if that's the case, I just don't need to do this. But then when I was in the midst of it, I was like, oh, they're not catching that they've been attracted to each other. But I also, I thought it was going to really make me upset or bother me or make me feel jealous. And I was like, it just didn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So we ended up eventually forming a truple that was on and off for eight and a half years. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And we're still, she and I are still friends. She's one of my closest people now still. We just aren't dating. There's a word, compersion. Do you use that? Yes. I don't usually use it, but yes, I've heard about it, but like seeing your partner with someone and being joyful about it. Right. I would definitely say my ex-husband had that. I don't know if I had that as much, but it was it was a sense of peace. But I also think even when I'm in poly, I lean towards closed connections. So if I'm in a monogamous relationship and I fall in love with someone, I'm like, oh, I want to like be with you, build a life back then have babies and like create a home. Right. Right. I had a friend once asked, she's like, well, don't you get marriage and don't you believe in marriage? I said, yeah, I said, but I guess what I was taught is that when you really love someone deeply and you want to commit to them, then you create a commitment that's marriage. And for me, that means that 
So I, I love two people like that. And it's like, okay, so then I want my girlfriend and my boyfriend to be my people and get married and have babies. You know what I'm saying? Like, but like have it be the three of us and build a life. Like marriage is a social construct and something that's designed to, you know, <laughs> keep people as property <laughs> as, you know, as we already discussed. Yeah. But in fact, as human beings, we've always had the capability to love and be attracted to different people in different ways. And it can be scary, I think, to like push that boundary, like listening to your story. I'm in awe. I've never been in a non-monogamous or a poly relationship, but I'm certainly open to that possibility. But it also kind of scares me because I know that it would be hard for me to not feel jealous, as it were. And like jealous isn't quite the right word. So I use it in air quotes. So I think that we have a lot to learn about people being open about their poly and non-monogamous relationships so that other people can see there's way more than just one way to have a relationship. Yeah. And poly doesn't mean you don't get jealous. Right. It means that you talk about it and you work through it and you don't make that other person wrong for it. What I say is kind of like relationship and communication Olympics. Yeah. Because it's just, it's complex. Shit, girl, just the scheduling is complex. <laughs> of scheduling just myself let alone another person and then more than one person like it sounds exhausting <laughs> but there's some people who really need the experience like for me because I can go either direction like when I had yeah a younger kid and dating I was like trying to juggle schedule with my ex-husband plus who I'm dating plus my kid yeah plus I'm trying to create art yeah I was like it was just too many things to schedule I was like I don't need this enough to try and deal with all that scheduling. However, there are some really beautiful blessings that did come out of Polly. And like I said, me and our ex-girlfriend are still like extremely close. Like she's one of my dearest friends when she's having issues with her girlfriend or like wants to talk. Like I'm one of her yeah. first calls, you know? Yeah. With your now ex-husband, what label did he give for his sexual orientation? And another question is how did that marriage come to an end. He sounds like somebody who really worked hard on himself, on communication, was attentive to you. So in some ways he did, in some ways he didn't. So like the poly part's the part that worked. And back then, yeah. some of the other things around self-examination, finances and money, mm. the ways that he managed certain things about how he saw the world in other ways were often through mm. a very him-centered lens. So there were other things that didn't work out ultimately about that. Are you friends now? We are now, but there was a while where we went, he really didn't want to be friends for a lot of years. And it's interesting now that we've yeah. taken our kid to college. He's done, a, I mean, like a lot of self-work. And once we took the kid to college, it was like something beautiful clicked. It's like there's only two people on this planet that love this other human the way that we love this other human. Aww. And that we get each other and we've known each other for so long. Like we started dating in college that there's not very many people on the planet that either one of us know that know us as well as we know each other. So like if we can get rid of like any resentments or past things and really forgive them, which I think we have, like we've been able to have not even like deep conversation, yeah. but it's just like, okay, I think there's a lot of things you missed about this. And a lot of things I missed about that and be able to take responsibility for yeah. it. Then we can be friends and like, yeah. and we're both yeah. writers and artists and creators. So like I just shot a movie with him. There's a movie he wrote when Phoenix was in like oh, cool. school that he'd originally written a role for me and yeah. produced by Christiana Lorcan's production company. And they cast me opposite her as one of the leads, which is awesome. Uh -huh. And like when he's nice. doing pitches, he'll send me stuff so that I can give him notes or vice versa. Like we can talk about that stuff. So like, yeah. then I, I had codependent tendencies and codependents are usually like kind of a 
puzzle piece for people who are more kind of anchored in their own thinking. So there's a responsibility in that, like, I didn't understand my codependent tendencies either. So I didn't know where that was playing in and where I was trying to fix things or do things by giving over when what I really needed to do was set a boundary. And that may have given him a different way to go about it. Do you know what I'm saying? But like you grow older and you mature and you kind of like recognize that stuff. The person I was with after him, who was a woman, they they were almost identical Mm -hmm. people. It was really funny. They got along very well with each other, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? Like ultimately similar dynamics. Yeah. And that's what really helped me get very clear. I was like, okay, there's something in my own way of dealing with this that keeps attracting the same dynamic. So that's what I need to look at because he and I started dating when we were so young that it's like we basically grew up together and not always comfortably around certain issues. Yeah. Yeah. And what label does he give? He's straight and cis. Yes. Like, you know, the title of the book is Our Bisexuals Just Greedy because we assume to be all poly and promiscuous and so on and so forth. And not that there's anything wrong with that whatsoever, but straight people can be those things too. Yeah. Gay and lesbian people can be those things too. Anyone of any sexual orientation can behave in any way. (laughs) You know, it's not just bisexuals. The things that we get blamed for around like the cheating and stuff, they're really about boundaries right don't have anything to do with fidelity or sexual orientation it's about whether or not you honor agreements and boundaries right it's interesting because he people a lot of times like when they first found out that i was bi and we were poly they'd be like is he white be like no he's not white is he ugly no no he's not (laughs) no actually he's he's quite attractive he's attractive i've seen photos he's a very attractive they're like is he old i was like no he's not he's not old it's just (laughs) this is and they look at me like they're crazy because not only was Polly almost pretty much unheard of, but it really wasn't heard of in any way in black music. But he also like, because he has a very beautiful, I think, balance between his masculinity and his gentleness. Yeah. People often mistake him for being bi, even though he's just really not bi. He's like, I don't know why people think that. It's like, sir, I know why they think that, but we, I also know it's not true. <laughs> Well, sadly, we're coming toward the end of our conversation, which makes me feel so sad because there are so many different things that I could talk to you about for hours. But I really want to get to your Lionheart story. So I consider Lionhearts to be people showing kindness and courage. And I'd love for you to share a story or an anecdote about kindness and courage from the LGBTQ plus community. Okay. So when my kid came out as trans, he was 13. I was Uh on the DGA lobby floor. Uh, at Outfest, I think in a corset. And I get this text message saying, I'm posting something on Instagram and you can't look. And I was like, baby, you know, that ain't gonna work for mom. I'm a black mom. I'm doing that. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) He's like, well, I want to tell you in person. And he was doing the summer with his grandmother. And I was like, you know that you're not back for a month. You want me to wait for a month? He's like, well, well, you can look, but I won't talk about it. If you try and talk to me about it, I'm going to hang up the phone on you. Right. (laughs) And I said, okay, I won't accost you about whatever this is tonight. And I kept racking my brain. I was like, I don't understand what this could possibly be. But he'd been dealing with depression and other things that we had been really concerned about. I had no idea they were connected to his gender identity. So I was scared, you know, because I was like, I will leave this event right now and get on like a FaceTime with you or something. And he's like, no, no, he wouldn't do that. So I get off and I see his post and I have a breakdown in the DJ (gasps) lobby. I was just scared. I was scared for my baby, like literally in the middle of Outfest, surrounded by tons of queer people, tons of trans people. Everybody knows what an advocate I am for the community. And I am having a literal sobbing wreck breakdown because my kid himself has come out as trans. Wow. 
And I went through all those thoughts in my head about like, does he even know who he is? How does he know at this age? Probably all the same shit my mama thought when I came out as bi. But like, maybe he's just confused because he's like, I'm a girly girl. Like he would say that verbally. I now know that there's a lot of different kinds yeah. of boys and that a lot of gender assigned at birth, female people don't realize they're trans until they get their cycles and go through puberty. I didn't know any of that then. Yes. So I'm going through all these questions in my head. And I yeah. was like, you know, a lot of the gay men, you know, take on a lot of black women's things. Is he just trying to find his way back home? I don't know. But then it like settled in even deeper. It's like if he actually is trans and he wants to transition, this is right around like when all the Mike Brown stuff was happening. Not that we don't have something damn near every yeah. day in America. But I was like, that means he's a black man walking yeah. in America. It makes me teary every time. Then, okay. And then he's like a black effeminate man walking through America because yeah. I know that that's his thing. He's more of a girly girl. So if, if he's a boy, which he is, and then he's effeminate walking through the world, like that puts him in danger from both communities. And I was yeah. just losing it. And I have to tell you, I think it was Jen Richards. And I can't remember everyone who came oh. up to me, but just like help me and hug me. And they told me, think D'Lo <laughs> and a couple other people. And they're just like, that you even feel this way. And you're asking these questions says that you're a good mom and you're going to be okay. And there's nothing wrong. You have to grieve and you have to have your feelings and it's going to be okay. And if he needs someone to talk to, or if you need someone to talk to, like you're okay. And they let me know that I was okay. And that like, I wasn't, cause what I was thinking in my head, I was like, I'm bad queer mom Oh, standing here crying because my kid is coming out and I support my friends and I want him to be whole and okay. But I'm terrified that he's going to be unsafe. And they just all held me up. They held me in the middle of that fucking DGA lobby and just talked to me and like told me it was going to be okay. And that I wasn't a bad mom. And that I was going to be okay and that he was going to be okay. And I wasn't a bad mom. Like I needed to hear I wasn't a bad mom for having feelings. It was a really big deal. What incredible community that we have yeah. that does hold us all together when it really matters the most. Yeah. None of them had a horrible thing to say to me. It was beautiful. Of course. I mean, in hearing that, I love your story for a number of different levels. But something I want to bring out is the fact that you are a queer black bi woman yourself. And even you having a child who identifies as trans is scary for you too. I'm sure that there are people out there who are straight and cis and they get terrified when their kids come out. And I want them to know that you get terrified too. You know, that there is a level of fear in some ways because of the safety aspect. And But at the end of the day, we can all come together in love and support and recognize that. We're all just beautiful human beings that exist somewhere on or off a spectrum of gender, sex assigned at birth, and sexual orientation. And we're just spiritual beings having a human experience. And sometimes those human experiences are very different and sometimes that they overlap, you know? I can picture the scene so well. Yeah, I was a mess. <laughs> it was a very big mess. When did you get to talk to him after that? Next day, I did talk to him and I was like, I really wanted him to be talking to a therapist and he was able to start going to like group, start finding support before he yeah. had to come back. And we still had to process it all. And my whole thing was like, you know, I was still confused and having to learn about stuff. And I found there's a trans families organization here in Los Angeles as well. Other parents that weren't judging me too was really, really helpful. Is he happy now, your kid? 
He is. He is. He now identifies it's still trans, non-binary, still he, him pronouns, but like now he's, he's realized he's non-binary. It, it, it took him going on hormone therapy for a while for it to balance out. It really, and we were on the fence yeah. about that too and had concerns, yeah. but ultimately yeah. he advocated for himself and it really was truly the best thing for him. He's just happier and more yeah. grounded and got more clarity about who he yeah. is and he's able to deal with the world from a more stable place it's just yeah. really beautiful beautiful story thank you well dalila we have to say goodbye we didn't even get to talk about black queer joy that you founded so let's end on you telling people where they can check that out and black queer joy is such an important part of our world <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Black Queer Joy is a revolution. You can check it out on the website, blackqueerjoy.com, but it really just kind of puts back up what's on the Instagram. On the Instagram page, I really curate content and amplifying stories of Black Queer Joy as a revolution, because I think our joy and actually even our rest is a revolution for Black Queer people. Yeah. And I want to amplify that. Eventually, we're going to eventually be doing some activations that will be like brunches in person and some installation things. So there's definitely more to come. It's developing into something more than I ever imagined it could out of the moment that I created, actually in part because of my kid. Yeah, to amplify joy for your kid and everyone out there. Yeah. Well, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well, and we'll put your social handles and all the ways to find and follow Dalila. So thank you so much, my darling. I really, really appreciate you coming to have a chat like this. And uh, I can't wait to see you soon. Sending you big hugs from Texas. <laughs> Sending you hugs too. I love you and I miss you. And I'm glad that we got some time together. Likewise. I love you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please go to nowwithfiona.com for more information, resources, and ways to help. Big shouts of gratitude to West One Music Group for our fantastic signature tune and to our amazing executive producer, Mindy Raymond. Be happy, remember to love always and let your lion heart roar.